Uh, Galatians 5, 7 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give it our attention. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we trust you. Uh, we would not write as the Bible often does, uh, but we know that your ways are higher than ours. And so we pray that you would help us understand uh, why this is in the Bible and uh, why it is necessary that we uh, would see it today. Uh, Lord, I do pray again for myself and for them. Uh, Lord, I pray for all the moms um, and dads that they would not be distracted by I mean, or worry about their own kids that don't bother anyone else nearly as much as they bother them. That we could all just relax and enjoy um, even a somewhat chaotic service. Um, Lord, we know that this is the way it's always been um, through most of history. And uh, so, Lord, thank you for the young ears that normally don't even get to hear the word preached. Uh, help them as well. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if any of you have ever traveled internationally. Uh, but if you have, uh, can you drink the water in every country? I can even see some young people nodding their head, no, that's, that's right. What about the food? Is all food safe in every other country? Wow, you kids are smart, that's right. It's not always true. You know, in America, we have government agencies that are constantly testing and retesting food and water, making sure that we have safe water supply, that food that's in grocery stores is safe, is not contaminated, and uh, not all the world is like that. You know, in this passage, uh, it's as if Paul is warning the Galatian Christians to be careful what they eat. All spiritual food is not safe. All spiritual food is not safe. Uh, if you look on page 7, you see the outline. Uh, very simple. Uh, three points. Uh, danger of being disqualified. Confidence in the Lord. And condemning false teachers. So this is a shorter passage, a little bit shorter sermon. Uh, so if you stick with me, uh, you, if you zone out, you might miss the whole thing. So I'd hate for you to do that. Alright, so the first point danger of being disqualified from the race. So look at verse 7 again. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now Paul uses many athletic uh, metaphors in his writing. And uh, so for any sports fans here, uh, you, there's plenty of them. This is one of the many. He says, you were running well. In essence, who cut in on you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You know, many start the race, but far fewer finish it. Many start the race, but far fewer finish it. If you were involved in a college ministry in college, uh, you probably know this by now. Uh, those who've fallen away, uh, they were very, and I knew this, I was involved in a college ministry, who were on fire for Jesus, and then later on in life, uh, they want nothing to do with God. And they say, I never really believed. It's very sad. Uh, even in middle school and high school youth groups, folks will be on fire for Jesus, and then later decide, ah, maybe that wasn't what I wanted. So as I said, uh, many start the race. Uh, but far fewer finish. Uh, this verse again, verse 7 says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I'm thinking about athletics. 
if any uh, student athletes here, uh, what can disqualify you? Well, your grades can disqualify you. Uh, your behavior at school can disqualify you. Yeah, there's a few things, probably some others. Um, those are some big ones. Think about professional athletes. Okay, the list gets really long. Just watch the news, and every day, some athlete is determined a new way to get himself arrested, disqualified, thrown out of the game, right? Many, many ways to get disqualified. And uh, so here we have uh, the Galatian Christians. They started well with Paul. They heard the gospel, but they're at risk of being deceived by who are the bad guys in Galatians? The Judaizers. Right? So the Judaizers, uh, just to remind you, these are guys, Jews who came in to the Galatian church and said, it's great that you believe uh, by faith, that you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need some other Jewish stuff. Get circumcised, obey some Jewish festivals and laws, and then you're going to be saved. Okay, that was their lie. The Judaizers were adding to the gospel, right? And so Paul says, hey, you were running well. You started well, but now you're being deceived. Um, if you can imagine a cross-country race, if you've ever been to one, there's lots of flagging and spray painting and signs to make sure you stay on that course winding through the woods. And just imagine if, uh, if there's somebody there saying, hey, just take, instead of going that way, go up over this mountain. It's much harder, um, but that's the best way to go. Everyone knows they would be disqualified from the race. And in essence, it's kind of what the Judaizers are doing. What Paul said is too easy. Here's something harder, which is strange. Usually people take shortcuts that are easier. But there's something about human nature is we actually like something harder. Why would that be? Why would humans actually gravitate towards something harder? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because it's not our nature with anything else. But it's true. There's something about us. I think it's because, actually I'll come back to that. Hold that thought, see being figured out, and we'll come back to it. Why do we gravitate to harder things? Okay, so this change of course would disqualify you. Uh, verse eight, he says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Obviously God, this persuasion, this way of thinking is not from God. Many of you are familiar, familiar with uh, phishing emails and texts. Some of you probably, your employment is related to this things, right? But um, what is that? If you're familiar, it's an email or a text that, that says they're from someone you know or a company you trust, and they say, click this link. Give us this personal information. Send a gift card to this, right? right? Those are phishing attempts. But you know, you look at it and say, this isn't from who it's saying it's from. I can tell something about this. That's what Paul said. This persuasion is not from who you think it's from. This is not from God. The Judaizers are saying, this is the godly way. Does that make sense? It does. So not a fishing attempt. Paul is warning that their theology that being taught is not from God. It's toxic and it will kill you. How much poison does there have to be in food to kill you? Probably not a lot. Probably not a lot. So this is also true of the gospel. Anyone who distorts the gospel, look at verse 9. For all those bakers, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, what, we aren't talking about athletics anymore. Now we're in the kitchen. We're baking. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Think about the ratio. If you've ever made bread between flour and yeast, that's a pretty big ratio. A whole lot of flour and just a tiny bit of yeast. Now, a little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump, right? Okay, so what point does Paul have here? Why is Paul making this point? His point is, it doesn't take much wrong theology to mess up the gospel. It doesn't take much wrong theology to mess up the whole thing. 
Uh, this, a few days ago, I got to watch Apollo 13 uh, with some of my family. And uh, if you remember that movie, uh, the Apollo 13, there's uh, some little coil that's off in an oxygen tank, some tiny little part of this huge spacecraft, and uh, it blows up and just about kills all of it, right? They almost all get lost in space. One tiny little part. How many things had to go wrong in the space shuttle, or the space thing? Just one tiny little thing. Of just a little bit of messing up the gospel, and you have no gospel at all. We saw that in, in the first chapter, didn't we? He said, um, this is no gospel. Another gospel, and there's no other one. This is those Galatians 1.6. So we have to be careful to guard against being disqualified. We make sure that no one messes up the gospel. But he gets to some good news. Um, there's encouragement that, uh, about the source of our confidence. So the second point, confidence in the Lord. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 starts with, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. So what's the source of Paul's confidence? What's the source? Of, is it that they're so great? You guys are great folks. I know that you aren't going to listen to these crazy teachers. Look at the verse. Look at verse 10. What's his confidence in? I have confidence in the Lord. Not in them. His confidence for the Galatian Christians is in the Lord, not them. There are so many things that can disqualify us from finishing the race. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's in God that he will preserve and that he will carry us to the end. Philippians 1.6, another letter from Paul. Paul says, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Whatever God starts... He's going to finish. So if God saves you, he's going to carry you through the race all the way to the end. That's really good news for all of us that struggle, isn't it? Because some days we feel like, man, I could get disqualified if it's up to me. Romans 8.30 says this. And those whom he predestined, or listen to this chain of events. Those whom he predestined, God, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What is, that again is saying what he starts, he finishes. If he predestines you and he calls you and he justifies you, he's going to glorify you. He carries Christians through. So if you have patient, placed your faith in Christ and you see God working in your life, you should have confidence that you will continue to do that the rest of your life. Please don't understand that... Um, Many struggle with, well, today I don't feel like he's doing anything. I don't know. I don't feel like I'm a Christian today. The, the fact is not whether you're always running in a straight line at the same speed. The fact is, is if you're moving at all. Because the Holy Spirit is the only one that can actually move us toward God. Okay? It's really important to understand. And if Jesus paid for your sins, there's no more sins to pay for. Does that make sense? If Jesus paid for your sins, there's no more sins to pay for. How do you know that he paid for your sins? Well, there's going to be fruit. You have new desires. He's working in your life. So if you see any fruit at all, that God is changing your affections, changing inside of you, you know God has already begun this work, and he's going to carry it through. This should give you encouragement. So even as there's lots of ways to get disqualified, there's much encouragement here. Okay, so with that encouragement, we also need to watch out for wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And that's our third point. Condemning false teachers. So look at verse 10 again. It says this. I have confidence in the Lord. 
Let's see. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And then look at this part. And the one who is troubling you, the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So it almost sounds like there's some person, Paul might not know who they are, but he knows that, he, that some false teacher is there. Whoever it is who's troubling you, he will pay the penalty. Well, it's not very socially gracious to say that. Right? It's as if he's saying, this, you're going to pay. Is he just, he's not just angry. This is biblical clarity. The, people, the false teachers who are poisoning the church, God will punish them for that, that act. They're attempting to disqualify the people there. We've noted this in previous weeks. The stakes are high. Just like on Apollo 13, the stakes were high. With the gospel, the stakes are high. Anyone that messes it up, it's a big deal. But then look at verse 11. Paul's kind of changing here. Look what he does. He's kind of defending maybe an accusation. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. What do you think that means? So, look at that first part again. Still, if I'm being, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? It's, you never know what the accusation is. We can guess. So maybe it went like this. They were saying, you know what, Paul? He preaches in Jerusalem circumcision. But when he came to you guys, the Gentiles, he left that off and to make it more a seeker-friendly message. That could be the accusation. They're, the Judaizers say, yeah, Paul didn't tell you that, but it's just a secret. He actually tells everyone else that. So that's one possible that we don't know for sure, but he's being accused of something. Okay, so look at the logic of his defense. How does he defend himself? He says, if I'm preaching that, why am I being persecuted? The Jews in Jerusalem would not be persecuting me if I had preached that. Does this logic make sense? Those things, there's a relationship there. If they're persecuting me, I must not be doing what they're saying I'm doing because I'm preaching the gospel. That's his logic there, his defense. But look at the second half. I think this might be the most important part of this passage. If I, if I previously lost you, please tune back in for the second half of this verse. Verse 11, second half. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. In that case, the offense of the cross. How is the cross offensive? What do you think? How is the cross offensive? Did you know the gospel is very offensive? Think about where it starts. The gospel begins with... You are a hopeless sinner. You failed in every way, and there's no way that you can save yourself. Sounds offensive to me. That's where the gospel starts. We've all failed miserably. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to save ourselves. But then it goes on. What, what comes next in the gospel? Well, next is, where are you going to get that salvation? Oh, you need to go to a man who was God who was absolutely humiliated and executed in the worst way possible. Kids, does that sound like a superhero? The hero of Christianity is a poor man who was executed in the worst way possible. Utterly humiliated. It doesn't sound like any superhero I know. That's the great hero of Christianity. That is the offense of the cross. That we actually worship a crucified Savior. I mean, he was absolutely humiliated here on earth. I hope you see the offensiveness. So this does nothing for our human sensibilities. 
do not try to remove the offensiveness of the cross. We ought to own it. There's no way that you can ever explain the gospel to anyone and make it palatable. It's just plain offensive. There's no way around it. I mean, I'm sure you can do it worse. You can make it more offensive, needlessly offensive. You can be a jerk about it. But even if you're kind, it's still offensive. It absolutely is in people's face about how they fail and how they can't do anything about it. Now, remember what I said before. Why do people want to choose a harder course? Why would they say, oh, great, I want to take this shortcut and go up over the mountain? Here's why. Because we want to do something. We want to earn it somehow. I need to do something to feel like I earned this salvation. Is that not our nature? This is why so, it's so easy to be deceived about the gospel. This is why the Judaizers had easy time. It's why so many mainline churches do that now. They preach a moralistic gospel. Be better people. And you will get to heaven. That message sells because people want to go do something. But that's not the gospel, is it? We have an offensive gospel that doesn't make us feel good at all. It says we're helpless and the only thing we can do is go to Christ and beg for forgiveness. And he delights to give it to us. That doesn't make us feel great, does it? I hope you see the connection here. Well, now we come to the last verse. I know you're all waiting for this. Verse 12. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Why such strong, strong language, Paul? Okay, a little bit of Jewish context here. Okay, so the Judaizers were preaching. You know what they're preaching, right? Add something to the gospel and then you're saved. What specific thing will start with circumcision? I think you can connect the dots between circumcision and verse 12. I'm not going to. Deuteronomy 23 disqualifies anyone who's been emasculated from ever worshiping in the temple. Okay, that's a key bit of information. So what Paul is saying is the Judaizers should be disqualified from worshiping in Israel and Jerusalem. Because the reality is, in the end, they will be. They're not going to go to heaven. They'll never worship God because their gospel is distorted. Do you follow his logic? He's saying, I wish they would disqualify themselves because they really are going to be disqualified because they have no gospel. Does that logic make sense? But just so you know that Paul's not flying off the handle to these people, I want to, I want to share with you some choice words from Jesus, our Lord. There's many I could choose from, but these are from Luke 17. He says, and, and he, the, the heaving Jesus, said to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better, listen to this, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then he should cause all these little ones to sin. Man, those are strong words from Jesus. He says it would be better for instead of leading people into error, it would be better that they thrown into the sea with a millstone. Kids, that's a huge stone that you would immediately sink. That's immediate death. Why is Jesus also speaking such strong words? Because leading other people astray is a huge evil. Leading other people astray is a huge evil. I'm sad to say, you can go in any Christian bookstore, if they still existed, and uh, many, many Christian authors are leading people astray. Not everything that's published under the name Christian book is good. There's a lot of really bad theology out there. So, we probably should be careful. Remember verse 7, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Not everyone is speaking the truth. 
There's dangerous theology. This is a benefit of being in a church. One is that's, one of my goals is every week to preach the, what the Bible says so that when you encounter wrong stuff, that you would immediately notice and be like, this, this isn't right. Something is off with it. If you learn the Bible, if you learn what a, an authentic dollar bill is, you know what a counterfeit is much easier. So that's one of our goals. As I said in the beginning, we can't take for granted that all food is safe particularly spiritual food. Our tap water is tested to sure it's not polluted. But not everything we could drink for our souls is that safe. I think we all could help each other, couldn't we? Have you had a friend tell you about some book they're reading? And you're like, that does not sound good. They tell you about it, and you're like, I don't think that sounds good at all, right? Do you ever, do you ever tell them anything, encourage them, say, I'm concerned about that book? Right? That's, that might be culturally offensive, or that insult them. They picked up the book and chose it. But think about Paul's words. How Paul, he loves when love will lead us to help protect other people. So, of course, I'm trying to do that. But fathers, I think you play a key role as well. What do I mean? I, I'm thinking of Ephesians 6.4. It says, fathers, do not pro provoke your children to anger. We're not going to talk about anger. But the second part says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I encourage you, read the Bible with your family, with your children. It's one of the best ways to help your children know what the real truth is. That's the way they're going to know to be able to identify a counterfeit. Is, of course, I'm doing it every week, but you see them way more than I do. Right? You're with them every day. I think there's an important role here for us as fathers to lay a solid foundation. Not all of you had that benefit. You didn't grow up with fathers who raised you into faith. It's never too late to start laying a good foundation now as an adult. You can ask each other. Ask a friend, hey, is this a good book? Can I trust this book? So as we wrap up, please take Paul's words to heart. Be careful to not be deceived by false teachers. Whether by, by podcast or author or anywhere. Don't be afraid to expose false teachers for those you love around you. Ensure that we don't remove the offensiveness of the gospel. It is necessarily offensive. The gospel is simple, but offensive. Be careful in how we run the Christian life. Knowing all the while it is Christ that ensures that we will cross that finish line. So let that be our confidence in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Now, Lord, even uh, abrasive words, uh, Lord, uh, we, uh, I pray that you would help us understand how dangerous false teaching is and how it wrecked so many people's lives. Lord, help protect our flock, uh, help protect each other, and uh, help us protect our friends, and especially our children. Uh, Lord, that our children uh, would grow up uh, knowing what is real, that they would be able to see uh, what is counterfeit. Uh, Lord, I do pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.